The kingdom of God is expanding. The kingdom of God is larger than you. And you see, we in our human and finite minds tend to limit God, don't we? And so when the kingdom of God comes in, when the kingdom of God is revealed to us, the first thing it begins to do is stretch you. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I want to tell you that when you received Jesus, whenever that was, you didn't just confess Jesus, accept His Spirit, and just sit back on your laurels. No, that was the beginning of a process where God was trying and is desiring to change you into His image. God fills the universe. He's so big. He's so large. He's so great. And so we serve a God who desires to bring the kingdom into our life. And that involves a change in our thinking. It involves a, a change in our understanding and the scope of our decisions and our values and our relationship. It involves our purpose for life. And so when it comes to living by faith, it really is a radical, it is a radical transition in our life. And, and it's not uh, for the faint-hearted. But I want to talk to you just a very simple introduction on what it is to live by faith in the kingdom. And before we get into this, I want to introduce you to four really important, powerful scriptures that are in the Bible. In fact, we're going to read these scriptures together, okay? Because uh, there's there's power in the word. So if we can go to that first one in Habakkuk, let's let's read this together as we uh, go through this. Write the vision. And make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Next, Romans Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Number three, Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The last one. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Can you say amen? amen. Are you getting the message? How many here are just? The just are those who have been justified. You are the righteousness of God. You have been appointed to salvation, predestined from the foundation of the world. The Bible says the just 
shall live by faith. Now, do you know that everybody lives by faith? Do you know that? Now, you may not live by faith in God. You might live by faith in yourself. There's a lot of people today that live by faith in something. They live by faith. They live and they put faith in stock in their riches, their materialism, their job. They might even put faith in a relationship. You might put faith in things that are materialistic. Hebrews 10 says that this world is being shaken. And everything that's going to be shaken is going to, that's not founded upon the rock is going to fall apart. The Bible says in Matthew 24, when Jesus said when He comes again, He said the world is going to be consumed with fire. The world someday will be destroyed by fire. God said that, it's, that the entire earth will be destroyed by fire. One of the marks in the last days, Jesus said that in the last days, Paul reiterated it. He said that in the last days, many will depart from the faith. Many will give heed to seducing doctrines of devils. And it says, because of the love of many waxing cold, uh, because of, a, of deception, the love of many will wax cold. And we find that even today. People falling, there's no, they're, they're, the lack of love in their relationship, the lack of love for God, there's a passivity, there's a casual spirit today in the world concerning Faith, even faith in God. I was reading a book by George Barna called The Seven Faith Tribes in America. And one thing that is happening from one generation to the next, that as generations come up in America, our culture, right now in America, our culture, which is which used to be a one nation under God, has moved from secular to pagan. We have now embraced many Eastern and pagan practices in the nation. In our educations, our university, our educational systems, on television, even down to cartoons. Parents, you need to watch what your kids are watching in the cartoons. Because there's a message, there's a subliminal message that is coming that is seeking to erode and to corrupt and destroy the faith of people in this nation. And it's not an accident. The Bible says that in the last days, there's going to be two powerful kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's a, there's a, there's a collision. We are right now experiencing really the beginning of a massive collision. And let me tell you, folks, there's coming a day where if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian and you confess or profess Jesus as Lord in America, there's coming a day where you actually may have to pay a price for it. You may lose your job. You may lose uh, some other area. The Bible even goes so far as to say that when the spirit of Antichrist is upon the scene. By the way, do you know the spirit of Antichrist is already here? I'm not looking for a mark on my head or forehead or I'm not looking for the beast or the man or anything. The spirit of Antichrist is already here. And 1 John chapter 4 tells us what the spirit of Antichrist is. The spirit of Antichrist is the spirit of anti-Jesus. It is those who do not confess Jesus has come in the flesh. 
The spirit of Antichrist is the spirit of rebellion. It is a spirit that is, Paul says, that is in the world. <clears throat> the Bible says in Corinthians that the Bible, that, that the spirit of, uh, or this, the, uh, the God of this world have blinded the eyes of men that they cannot see the light. It is a spirit of opposition. It is a spirit of rebellion. It rejects authority. It rejects the Word of God. It rejects the Lordship of Jesus. It is something that will come. It doesn't have to come in a political sense. There are people today that just because they take a stand for Jesus in their own home, the spirit of Antichrist can even come uh, in your own home. I remember talking not too long ago with a, a woman who wanted to come to the house of the Lord. She had a hunger for the Lord, a desire to come to the house of God and realized that there was a, a, an imminent danger in their marriage. And she, she told her husband, Honey, we, we need to start getting uh, more connected into the things of God. And we need to get a solid knowledge of the Word of God because the Bible says we're not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some do. In the hour, there's an hour coming... The Bible says where a, and you find this in Revelation 13, where a, a darkness, and Isaiah 61 says that a gross darkness will cover the entire earth. And what that darkness is, is it's rooted and based out of hell. And its objective is to cover the earth with a spirit of lawlessness and deception. And there are people today that have a casual Connection with the Word of God. They're casual about God, casual about church, casual about their relationship with the Lord, and they just kind of have this casual, lukewarm attention to the things of God. And that very attitude is going to set you up for deception. Jesus made it clear. He says, let no man deceive you. Take heed. Take heed. That means pay attention. Take heed to yourself that no man deceive you. You know, one of the most important things that I need to realize is that I need to realize, Jesus said this, that if, if, if it were possible, that even the very elect will be deceived. If the very elect can be deceived, how much more I, do I need to be on my spiritual toes? You cannot afford not to be in the Word. I don't know about you, but I understand how powerful. I, I've, I've suffered enough from sin in my life. I've suffered, and I've, I'm a 55-year-old man. I'm not living in sin now. I'm talking about in a gross way. But when I was younger, I understand the power of sin. You know what sin does? Sin isn't just... Uh, reduced down to some event or uh, issue in your life. Sin is a condition of the heart. Sin has to do with an arrogant pride that is birthed or conceived in all of us. As Psalms 51 said, David said, In my mother's womb I was conceived. I was conceived in sin. And that, that, that sin nature in all of us is, is a lie that says, I'm smart enough. I know enough. 
I'll be able to catch it when deception comes. See, that's right there, you're already deceived. When you think you're wise enough, smart enough, that you can play games and be casual about the things of the Spirit. Living by faith means that I am a man who lives by faith. I live by something higher than myself. I love David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson uh, put an article out in his newsletter one time. He said, for people to live by faith means that you must embrace that which is absolutely ridiculous. To live by faith means that you must embrace things that go contrary to logic. To live by faith is something that offends the mind. For God to touch your heart, you must embrace truth that may offend you. That's why Jesus said that straight is the gate and narrow is the way and there are only a few that make it. I don't like that scripture. Because that scripture tells me that only a few are making it, but broad is the way in many that go to the path that leads to hell. That's not an exciting scripture. I don't like reading that scripture, but it just happens to be true. That tells me that following the crowd, following the, the, the majority is not right. Following my friends is not right. They may be leading me down a path that's in deception. And so much more, Paul says, and Jesus said, Watch and pray that ye may be accounted worthy to escape the snare that will come upon the whole earth. We are living in perilous times. Now, some of you say, Oh, Pastor Ray, you're preaching doom and gloom. Give me hope. I want, I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you hope, but its hope is based on a healthy foundation. Amen? When we be, let, me, let me tell you something about hope. I heard a story about a, a, a family whose house caught on fire. And when the house caught on fire, the parents were downstairs, but little Junior, a young boy, was in the upstairs. And when the house caught on fire, the father and the mother and some of the family ran out but down below and they turned around and said, is this Junior around here? No, he was in the house. Where was he? I think he was upstairs. And lo and behold, Junior climbed out one of the windows and climbed out on the roof of the building as the house was being consumed in a fire. And so the father said to his son, he said, Son, I need you to jump. And the, the boy says, Dad, I can't see you. I can't see you uh, between the smoke and the flames. I can't see you, Dad. I can't see you. The father said, I want you to jump because I can see you. And you know, sometimes living by faith means taking a leap into the father's arms. We may not see where we're going, but he can see where we're coming. See, living by faith means that I'm trusting in the word even though I don't necessarily know what I'm getting into. Now, I want to give you three things this morning that involves living by faith, and I want you to jump with me to 1 Corinthians 1. Because in order for me to live by faith, there is something that is so important that I have to have established. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 
How many of you know also that we are saved by faith? You can't be saved apart from faith. The Bible says you can't even please God apart from faith. You can't even receive apart from faith. The, the most important thing, Jerry, go ahead and put my first point up there. Embracing the foolishness of God, which is wiser than the wisdom of men. Notice what it says here, verse 18. For the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. Have you ever talked to someone who's outside of the kingdom? You talk to them and say, you know, buddy, you need to make a decision for Christ. Why? Why? That makes sense. Putting my faith in some character who died on some tree 2,000 years ago? That's ridiculous. I'm smart enough. I'm an educated man. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm thinking. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Bible says here that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign... Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. Everyone say foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Some of the heroes in my, of faith in my life, and I've done a lot of study in Scripture, but some of the men that I just admire the most, who are renowned in Scripture as fathers, patriarchs of faith in the Bible, these are examples the Bible lays down. Can you imagine a man by the name of Noah, who God gave a one word, one prophecy. How many have ever had a word of prophecy in your life? A word of knowledge. Somebody, can you imagine getting one word... And making a decision and basing your entire life on one word for an entire century. He heard one word, and that word was this. The Bible says in Genesis 6 that the earth was filled with violence and corruption was on the face of the earth. In the Bible, but yet God, the Bible says, yet Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God told Noah, he said, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. He says, there's going to be a flood that's going to come. Now, keep in mind, they'd never seen rain before. How many of you already believe in this is foolish? And then to add insult to injury, God says, I need you to build a barge, a big, huge boat. And by the way, it's interesting when you do a little geography in the Bible, it's interesting, God didn't tell him to build it near water. God told him to build this huge ark right out in the middle of a desert. Now think about it. For 120 years, this man, the Bible says it was accounted to Noah 
for righteousness because he believed God. Living by faith means that I'm going to have to embrace things that seem foolish. God's asking me to get involved in the church. He's asking me to miss my cowboy Sundays. He's asking me to fast and pray. He's asking me to tithe. Oh, how foolish. How ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. But yet, my Bible says, God hath chosen the foolish things. See, living by faith means that I'm not living by my feelings. I'm not being led by the opinions of others. I'm not finding my security on what my friends... My friends friends don't agree with the Bible. That's right. How many of you know when you begin to set your course and begin to believe in this book, all hell broke loose against you? Remember years ago when I was in high school, I was a Christian. I had a little Bible study in my high school. I made a commitment to God when I was a freshman that I would not get involved sexually. I'm not here to brag about any purity. I'm here to tell you that at that time, I made a commitment. I said, Lord, I'm going to keep myself from my wife someday. I don't know who she is. I was a freshman in high school. I remember when I made that commitment in a public school that I was not going to defile myself. I wanted to serve God. I wanted God's presence. I wanted the blessing of the Lord. I wanted the anointing on my life to be able to witness to people. God opened doors in my high school, gave me a word of knowledge, gave me a word of wisdom. Even to my teachers, I was able to lead my uh, sophomore or junior teacher to the Lord. In my junior year, he was my uh, uh, lead teacher in my junior year. But there was a price to pay. I remember there was a young man by the name of Grant Clapp. He said, hey, Ray, I hear you don't have sex with girls. That's right. I don't. I don't need to. Really? See, my name is Ray. So Grant thought he'd put a little slogan. Ray is gay. Went around the school. Ray is gay. Just because I wouldn't have sex. I want to tell you, folks, that really hurt as a high school kid. That hurt. Because I was not gay. But in a public school where sex was rampant and everybody thought it was cool to get drunk, get high, get stoned, get have sex, and you were not accepted unless you did it. You know, there was a price. In my mind, in my mind, at that time, in the state of my relationship, my growth in the Lord, I begin to wonder, wow, is this really worth it? It really began to hit me. But then the Lord showed me. Right? You're in a battle. You're in a battle. And the devil wants to shut your mouth. I led, as a high school kid, I want to say between 13, 15, 16, somewhere in there, I led 13, 15, 16 kids to the Lord. It cost me. I remember one, one, semester, or one year the Lord told me not to get into football. I was a junior varsity football player at one time. The Lord said, the next year, don't, do not get in football because I'm going to use you to be a light in your school. I did not go out for sports that one year because the Lord said the most important thing is the kingdom and getting people saved, getting them born again, getting them coming to the kingdom. Lord, that on my heart. It's foolishness. Man, Ray, this is the time you need to be out there playing sports. You can get a scholarship. You can do this. You can do that. The Lord told me, don't do it. 
I want to use you for something much higher. In the mind of natural thinking, it was ridiculous. Serving God will cost you. It was foolish. But you know what? I look back. There's no touchdown. There's no game. There's no trophy that can compare to one person, just one person, finding Christ, getting saved, and redeeming a soul out of the clutches of eternal damnation out of hell. When you compare an entire year, a scholarship, trophies, when you compare all of that to seeing one person come into the kingdom, how can you even think of going back to something like that? But you know why a lot of us don't make those choices? Because we really don't believe we can make a difference. And one of the things that I have found out in order for us to live by faith, Living by faith means that I'm going to have to begin... I want you to write this. Living by faith means I'm going to have to think by faith. I'm going to have to speak by faith. I'm going to have to dream by faith. I'm going to have to see by faith. Abraham is another great hero of mine who lived by faith. Can you imagine being an old man, 75 years of age, your wife is barren, 75 years of age, the wrinkles are coming, the hair is falling out, things are sagging south, and God says, you're going to be a father. Foolishness. Not a wise... How many of you just... How many of you know that probably did not get them jumping up and down? But here's the thing. God said, Abram, you want to see the blessing of the Lord come to pass in your life. If you're going to live by faith, you're going to have to make a move. Everyone say, make a move. Living by faith, God told him the first thing he said. He says, I want you to get out of the land of your fathers and your kindred and your tribe and into a land that I will show you. Everyone say, a place. God wants you to trade change places. Now, I'm not talking about geographic places. He's talking about He wants you to begin to live in a new environment. In other words, I have to create an environment. When God told Israel or Abram to leave the land of his fathers, in other words, sometimes living by faith means that I may have to sever some family ties. There may be some family relatives, some relations, some friendships that are really dear to me. But God says, you can't walk with those people. They're going to hold you back. Now, that doesn't mean we don't love people. That doesn't mean we don't serve them. But he's talking about people in your life that keep you from coming into the will of God. In my life, there are some people that I've had to leave behind. Abram had to let go of Lot. There's a time where you've got to shake some relationships that are holding you back. I talked to a young man one time. He was having some serious problems in his walk with the Lord. He had a drinking partner. Very close friend. 
When he came to the Lord, the first thing God began to do is to tell him he's going to have to lay down the alcohol. It's, a, it's an idolatrous issue in his life. It's an issue that is, was a high place. It was idolatry. It was an addiction. And the Lord said, not only are you going to have to separate and, and come out of this thing, but the Lord said, you may have to separate yourself from a friend who is constantly putting this in front of your face. And you need to get around godly in wholesome relationships and begin to grow in the Lord that way. Now, that doesn't mean that God has not called us to be salt and light in the earth, and we are to be salt and light in the earth. But in this case, the guy was going to the clubs and the taverns and the pubs and all of these things, and here's a guy trying to come out of the world, and for him, he needed to stop going to those places. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. I've got to get some amens on my side up here at least. What does it mean to live by faith? Live by faith doesn't mean you're just thinking about everything you're giving up. It's about thinking about what, what God's doing and what He's creating in your life and all the things that you're going to be gaining. Amen? To live by faith. To live by faith. Living by faith. Living by faith. The Bible says in Romans 10.17 that faith comes by the hearing of the Word. And what does hearing do? Hearing produces substance. Everyone say substance. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith, now faith, now, now, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of those things not seen. I want you to think about that. It's something hoped for. It's a substance. God's asking me to embrace a substance that I can't see or feel, but He's to, He, he says that I am to believe it as a substance. How many of you know when Jesus told Peter to step out of the boat? Was Peter walking on water? Or was he walking on the Word? It was on the Word. The thing that gave Peter support was not just the fact that he got out of the boat, but when Jesus gave the Word, that Word gave him support. See, that's the substance. What is the substance of my life? The Word. I eat this. I eat it. I live it. I breathe it. I dream it. I thank it. I sing it. The Word. Faith comes by the Word. It's the driving force of my life. And by the way, I don't say that because I'm spiritual. I say that because I'm carnal. I don't say that because I'm a giant. I say that because Ray Galligan is weak. Ray Galligan is susceptible to failure. Ray Galligan can be easily deceived. Ray doesn't want to mess with not being in the Word. Because there's a wild world out here. And it's so seductive. You know this world we live in, the world wants to make you think you're strong enough, good enough, pretty enough. The Bible says, the God, verse 26, 1 Corinthians says, You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and the God hath chosen the weak things 
of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God hath chosen. What does it mean to live by faith? Living by faith means I've got to embrace the foolish. And embracing the foolish is going to involve at times getting offended. Isn't it amazing what Jesus did? Jesus oftentimes would do a miracle with people. He'd bless them. He'd favor them. He'd open their eyes. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes and He fed them. And then he would turn around to that same crowd and he would say this. I mean, you you would think that Jesus really had a great thing going. the, The crowds were following Jesus. By the way, you know, Jesus didn't need television spots. Jesus, do you know that Jesus was so popular? He had to tell people, now I did this miracle, but don't tell anybody. Jesus had the most amazing advertisement in his day. Today people spend thousands, millions of dollars to get TV time on the air. You know, I think that if your ministry is really shooting through the roof, you're going to have to tell people. Now guys, don't tell anybody what God did here today. But it just exploded. The point is, is that Jesus would do these awesome miracles and then the next breath he would turn around and say, the only reason you guys are following me because your bellies are filled. Man, what an insult. Yeah, my bellies have been empty. But he says, he says if anybody's going to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And you know what? There were times, I'm sure the disciples saw just as many times people come, the disciples also saw multitudes leave him. Say, hey, Jesus, you know, you're dispersing the crowds. Remember a couple of months ago, things were going well. Uh, it's not looking good right now, Jesus. The crowds are thinning out. And, you know, you keep preaching this crossed message. Can't we get back to faith, miracles, goodness, and the love of the Father's stuff? Why do you start hitting us with this cross message, forsaking all? Your mother even came to see you the other day, Jesus. You didn't even go out to see her. You said, look around me, my mother, my brother, and all those who do the will of God. What an insult to your own mom. Amen? Foolishness. Living by faith. Foolishness. Here's another one. Living by faith means you forgive by faith. Forgive? Forgive somebody who insulted, hurted, abused? Are you telling me I have to forgive, love them, and accept them? But I have feelings. I have feelings. Surely God understands my feelings. No, your feelings are deceptive. You know, let me tell you something that just recently happened to me. By the way, you know what? I'm still, as a pastor, I'm a Christian. Do you know I'm still repenting? Do you know that living by faith means that you're constantly repenting? Repentance doesn't happen 20 years ago when you got saved. That's just the beginning of a lifestyle of repentance. In order for you to live by faith, you must constantly 
repent. And that word means to change the way you think. Completely transition, transformation. I remember a, a, a few years ago, a year and a half ago or so, I got a symptom in my toes. And it's a neuropathy in my toes. And my doctor, he uh, a specialist, a podiatrist I go to, he gave me some uh, steroids, he gave me pain medicine, and he also gave me something else. And, uh, you know, I felt that this was a symptom that was going to come and go over a period of time. But it didn't. It actually got worse over time. And, you know, I, I was as any Christian person, a pastor myself, and I was just saying, Lord, I thank you for healing. I thank you for healing, Lord. I believe, I believe in healing. I believe in the, the covenant uh, that's in the cross, and I believe that by your stripes, past tense, I have been made whole and healed, and I stand and I give you thanks. And uh, over a period of time, <clears throat> my faith grew weary. After about three, four, five months, and I'd get up every morning, folks. This happened every morning. I got up and my toes pinched. I had a bee stinging, a bee stinging uh, effect on my toes. It was a, and by the way, usually neuropathy is connected with diabetes, but I don't have diabetes. And it's, it's, they're, they've done some, MRIs and things like that felt that and found out that I have a pinched nerve in my lower back, sciatic nerve or something like that going down to my feet and all that. And I said, well, okay, Lord, you know the, the prognosis, but I know you can help me. So after about three, four months, I'm giving thanks. My wife and I are praising the Lord. Thank you, Lord, in my living room. Thank you, Jesus. I'm healed. And I'm walking with stinging toes. Stinging toes. Three months, four months. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Amen. I'm healed in Jesus' name. And I'm popping some pain pills once in a while because I'm, it, at times it's literally unbearable. But after about three or four months, my faith began to waver. I said, Lord, I've been thanking you for three or four months now. About time you do your part. You know, I've been doing the faith thing. I've been doing the Kenneth Copeland thing. I, I've been doing the faith, and I, I, you know, I've, I've been standing on the word, but okay, Lord, I've been praising you. I've been rejoicing in the face of agony of defeat and against all the odds. My toes are still hurting. In fact, the, the pain is increasing. I said, and I mean, I, I begin to vent a little bit of an attitude. Don't look at me like you. That's never, ever happened to you. And I, but I was, I, I was, I was going through this, this pain. And, uh, I prayed, I fasted, got no answer. And one day I, I remember I did get a word from the Lord that says, what would you do, Ray, if I would not heal you? What would you do if I didn't heal you? And I knew that. I thought, well, that couldn't be the Lord because the Bible says I'm already healed. I'm healed by his stripes. But what he was really asking is, what if, what if you didn't experience the kind of relief or breakthrough that you were hoping for? What would you do? 
And I thought of the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when the furnace was turned up seven times hotter and the Nebuchadnezzar said that we're going to throw you in unless you bow and worship me. Remember what the three young men said? That He said, we will never bow. And if the Lord should not even deliver us, we still will not bow to you, O king. And then you know what the Lord began to show me. He says, you know, Ray, living by faith is learning to live with pain. Learning to understand. Now, here, here's, here's the thing we don't get. Anytime you suffer, it's because God is preparing you for glory. He's preparing you for something that is far bigger than what you could ever ask or think. You know, one of the things that really blows me away is the life of David. God chooses David from the house of Jesse. Horribly dysfunctional family. Jealousy. A father who doesn't even acknowledge his son when the prophet Samuel comes. He says, do you have any more sons here? Where's the rest of your sons? And Jesse doesn't even have the eye thought of even bringing all of his sons. So David has suffered rejection. And yet he's the one that God has chosen to anoint to be king. But what is interesting, that after that little fiasco and the anointing and that little celebration they had, it really wasn't a celebration. As soon as he was anointed, everybody goes back to work. David goes back and tends sheep. I mean, I'm, I want you to notice that after the prophet came in, David didn't come to his dad and say, all right, now I want everybody in this house to recognize I'm the big man here. The Bible says that David went back and tended sheep. Real, oh, that's a message right there in itself. A lot of people think, I got a big word now, God, I'm waiting for that big breakthrough. Hallelujah. No, you may have to go back and keep tending sheep until God opens the door. But here's the thing. What interesting. Living by faith, foolishness. Saul has been rejected by God. And yet God uses that opportunity to develop the heart of compassion in a king, a young boy that will someday be king. Instead of just putting him right up in front to be king, he puts him, listen, God places David under a man whom the Lord rejected. Can you imagine going to a church and becoming part of a church where you think the anointing's left? And God says, no, I want you to be here and serve the man and be his armor bearer. No way, God. I want to go where the, the anointing is. Where the man of God is. Well, God may actually be putting you in a place where you have to serve. <laughs> that, that, just, that can't be faith. No, no, that's not God. I want to be where the lights are shining. I want to be where the people are shouting. But David, he took his little gift, his heart. And the Bible says that as David played before the Lord, 
the evil spirit from the Lord left Saul. And David learned what real leadership was by being an armor bearer, by learning to serve. And I'm sure there were times where Saul, because he was a selfish, carnal man, I'm sure that Saul didn't even appreciate what David did. Wasn't thankful. But he learned to live by faith. He lived by a word. He lived by what God had put on his heart. Sometimes it's foolish. But you know what? God will never forget you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he's going to bring you to a place. As the scripture said in Hebrews 10. Let's, let's, I got to close. I, I don't even have time to give him the rest of this message. Sure, let's close with Hebrews 10. Listen to what it says. Hebrews 10. Living by faith. I'm going to pick this up next Sunday. I've got to go into Matthew 12 next Sunday. But listen to what it says. Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. Some of your translations say patience. So that after you have done the will of God, everyone say the will of God. What's the will of God here? What is he talking about? After I've done the will of God, what in the world? You mean living by faith involves the will of God. There's something that God has me walking through right now that is His will. After you've done the will of God, you may receive what? The promise. For yet a little while He's coming. He who is coming will come. Everyone say will come. Listen, living by faith is this. When you keep saying, He's coming. We're going through a tough time on our marriage, but He's coming. Breakthrough's coming. I don't have a job right now, but it's coming. I'm going through something right now. God says that there's something important that I'm walking through. I don't have answers. I don't have understanding. I'm, I'm, I'm living in a place of darkness where I don't necessarily see the future. I can't go backwards. I don't necessarily see the future. But God says that it's His will that I'm going through this. And He says, it's coming. See, living by faith continually testifies, it's coming. Everyone say, it's coming. The Bible says, he who's come will come. He's coming. And he will not tarry. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. We're not going to go back, are we? We're not going to go back to fear. We're not going to go back to disobedience. We're not going back to compromise. We're not going to go back to complaining and murmuring. We're going on in God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet, shall we? Next, i got two points. I only got one today. 